up, everybody? Welcome to the All Sooners Podcast. It is Wednesday. It is August 23rd. We are roughly one weekish or so away from the college football season opener for the Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, we're week zero right now, so games are being played this week. Excited about uh, like Navy and Notre Dame out in Ireland. That ought to be good in a weird sort of way. But I'm looking forward to it. This is episode 201 of the All Sooners podcast. That's Ryan Chapman. He's in more. I'm John Hoover. I'm in Tulsa. We got a lot for you today, including some recruiting. Randall's going to join us in uh, segment three. We're going to talk about Will Nuwineri. Golly, I can't ever get his name right on the first try. I always have to go back and rewind it. Nuwineri. Will Nuwineri. Dude, you're going to Missouri. I'm probably not going to have to worry about pronouncing that, but we do have some updates. Both Randall and I talked to him last week, so we'll fill you in a little bit on that. Um, Big week for OU quarterbacks, Ryan. Baker Mayfield wins the starting job in Tampa. Not a surprise. He was going up against Kyle Trask. Last time we saw Kyle Trask, uh, he was throwing three interceptions on his in the first quarter of the Cotton Bowl. Is that right? My first game with all Sooners. That's right, your very first game. Um, big week for Jalen Hurts. He's the cover boy of Sports Illustrated's football preview, college and pro football preview. You open it up, there's Jalen Hurts on the cover. I mean, what a what a rare and unique honor. And then Kyler Murray was photographed in what looked like a sports bra. I know it wasn't a sports bra. It was one of those, uh, you know, monitoring his motion and running and speed and health and heartbeat and all that stuff. But it looked like a sports bra. It looked kind of weird. So those those are your three OU quarterback updates for the week. Yeah, it's uh, – <laughs> I blacked out and thought I was looking at a soccer training video because those are like yeah. a must-have under every single uh, soccer uniform. And I was just like, oh, the NFL finally making use of it. Congrats to them. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's high-tech stuff. But it looks ridiculous. I, it looks I appreciate it. ridiculous. Monitoring an injured player. Like that. I, I love that, hey, we've got to know how fast Kyler walks from this sideline, <laughs> that sideline, and stands next to uh, everybody just because uh come back from the knee injury. Monitoring the health of an ACL patient. <laughs> got to be top priority. High stakes stuff. Yeah. That's the technology age that we live in today. If your quarterback with the ACL is uh, not doing anything, you're going to know about it, right? <laughs> he's got to be doing something. He's got to come back from, from this, uh, and he's going to come back strong. Big year coming up for Kyler when he gets back. You want to do some predictions? Today is prediction day. If we don't get our predictions in today, Ryan, then we got to squeeze them in next week, and it's the season preview next week. Like They play a game next week, so we can't do that. So we got to do our predictions today. Let's start with where Oklahoma is going to finish. Let you go ahead and kick us off. I'll I'll come in from behind and and make everybody feel good. Yeah, I uh, we we did kind of a on allsooners.com a pre-camp prediction um, where I believe we had a lot of 10 and 2, 9 and 3 action for the Oklahoma Sooners. Looking down this schedule, again, that's what it goes back to for me. I I don't believe that this team is going to be, oh my gosh, night and day better. If they put up a gaudy win total, I don't yeah. think that means if you put the 2023 Sooners on the field, the 2022 Sooners, suddenly they win by 40 or something like that. 
But I do think you'll see legitimate improvement on the field. And when you marry that with a laugher of a schedule that was given to them by the Big 12, um, not an OU issue, I think that you will see a big step forward taken by Oklahoma in the perception and, and in the you are what your record is. I, I've got the Sooners, spoiler alert, playing for a Big 12 championship. We'll talk about how that goes next segment as we go around to all the other conferences. I've got Oklahoma qualifying for the Big 12 championship by going 10-2. and two. I think that there's really only a handful of toss-up games on this schedule which is an insane statement considering where this team was last year. Uh, I have Texas as a loss. I have TCU that season ender is kind of a toss up. I've got that going in Oklahoma's direction. Um, I think that that trip to Provo is going to loom large. I have no concern about Bedlam because we have hundreds of years of history that show us what that game has been. Mm -hmm. Mike Gundy can't coach in that game uh, unless he is a generational quarterback and he does not have one on campus. And so I've got the other loss coming in Oklahoma's final trip to David Booth Stadium. I think the Kansas Jayhawks and what they can do on the ground with Jalen Daniels, who will be the best quarterback in this conference, I think that that's where the warts of Oklahoma's defense not getting all the way there in year two under Brent Venables. Oddly enough, I think that's where that shows up. I think it's an absolute shootout as Kansas's defense is going to be booty. Uh, but I think that Jalen Daniels is that good. The other one I had my eyes on is UCF for the exact same reason of uh, John Rice Plumley, the rushing attack for the Knights and what that is. But it's a home game and it's coming off the bye week and it's coming off an OU Texas bye week. So if OU turns around a 49 point deficit and, and beats Texas in that coin flip game, they have a whole week to, to live that out. And if not, they have a whole week to get back on the grind and try to prove everyone wrong. So I've got 10 and 2 with the losses coming to the Longhorns, and, of all people, Kansas. Interesting. Yours is uh, Your prediction is a lot more uh, well thought out than mine. Mine is more of a hunch. Um, I also have OU um, rolling in in December to the, to the Big 12 championship game. Again, we'll discuss in the second segment. Uh, I have OU rolling in there with a 10-2 record. I also have them losing to Texas. Now, here's the deal. We'll discuss Big 12 here in a minute. Um, Oklahoma's going to lose to somebody. This is the hunch part. Oklahoma's going to lose to somebody we don't expect. I don't know who it's going to be. Cincinnati? Maybe, probably not. BYU, like Ryan said, I think that's a real possibility. Um, UCF, I do not see that one. At Oklahoma State, no. I don't think Oklahoma State's roster is good enough this year to, to pull that off. Here's the problem. OU was 0-5 last year in close games. At some point, you've got to turn some of those around. Um, So I'm predicting this year they'll turn around three of those and win some close games, uh, still lose a a couple of of games. Again, Texas, uh, you know what? I'll save that for the the third segment. Um, I I don't think Oklahoma is going to lose to Kansas State, Baylor, or Texas Tech. We know that for a fact because they're not on the schedule. Okay, so um, I don't know who the other one's going to be, Ryan. And I'd like to sit here and say that this team has a possibility or that team has the capability. I don't know who it's going to be, but Oklahoma's going to drop a game somewhere to someone that they are favored over and that you do not expect. How's that for scientific? Uh, Well, it would be uh, 
it would line up with the last 22 years of Oklahoma football history that there's a there's a stinker in there somewhere. There's a stinker in there somewhere. And when you look at it, though, again, I I think Texas Tech, Kansas State, I think they're probably going to be uh, two of the I, – I think – I do believe those will be two of the top four teams. That's huge for Oklahoma in this conference to not play them. And that's why, again, I don't think Oklahoma is going to be – just conventionally, if you say, is this football team a 10-win football team? I do not think they are. But the schedule is – it just is. And so you look at, okay, unknown with Cincinnati. Guess what? That's early in the season. Scott Satterfield at Big 12 Media Day said they've got one holdover scholarship athlete, and their OU's catching them in the first Big 12 game. That's a great spot to be. Iowa State, who knows who's playing? That's the yeah. second Big 12 game. No time for Iowa State to figure out who's playing in that game. Texas is Texas. I've voiced my concerns about UCF. Um, you look down the rest of it at Kansas. We talked about it. Bedlam, West Virginia at home. Is Neil Brown going to be the coach at that point? Like he might be saved by West Virginia being strapped for cash. Like that might be the savior of Neil Brown at BYU. We've talked about that one. And then TCU at the end of the year, which I, I think everyone has a ton of respect for what Sonny Dykes did in year one. We've seen one great game of Chandler Morris, one mediocre to bad game where he got hurt against Colorado. And then like, who knows? So, that there are just so as many question marks on the Oklahoma roster. There's that many question marks on the Oklahoma schedule. Yeah, I think if you got a pick, if someone held a gun to my head and said you pick one, I think I would pick BYU. They play a style of football uh, that is sound. You know, they avoid turnovers. They create havoc on defense. Um, they smash you in the mouth if you're not ready for that level of, of uh, smash mouth football with the, with the 22 personnel, right? I mean, who plays 22 personnel, uh, which is what they're going to do from time to time in the big 12, kind of nobody kind of Iowa state. And uh, this year, I doubt if they play that personnel, uh, who knows, maybe they'll play. They have 11 players that can play on both sides of the ball. Iowa state. Yeah. They might need it. Um, you know what, though? Iowa State's the kind of team that can come to Norman and take Brent Venables to the woodshed. It's just we've seen it before. Uh, Matt Campbell can coach when he uh, lays off the uh, the rage um, from pouring it on the poor officials. Um, he, he's a hell of a coach. So if something like that happens, I don't know how surprised I'd be. I, th- I think I'd be surprised just because Iowa State comes in off this summer scandal and and they're losing players it seems like every week so who knows um let's get to the OU roster how about that we'll make some predictions for the OU roster and we'll start with offense I'll get I'll start this segment and I'll say easy peasy especially after talking to uh Andrew Rame and Savion Bird last night following practice interviews uh Jackson Arnold's gonna play He's going to play a lot, and he's going to play early. They love this kid. How's that for a prediction? They got to set him up for for a successful 2024. They got to set him up, get him going in that direction as the starting quarterback, the face of this program, as uh, as Jeff Levy has said. But last night, Andrew Rame, I said, what do you think about your freshman quarterback? That's all I said. That was my question. He said, I think he's going to be a great player. He reminds me a little bit of Caleb Williams. I said, whoa, stop. I need a follow-up question. Why? Uh, Because he can run so much. He knows when to get out of the pocket. He can really throw on the run. He's really accurate. He can really make plays. I'm like, holy hell. You just compared him to the number one recruit in the country, the the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, 
and he hasn't put taken a college snap yet. That's that's pretty heady stuff. Yeah, and it, it's easy to uh, see how how that can play out, considering if Oklahoma makes the improvements they need to defensively, then suddenly they should be able to separate in some of these non-conference games to where you can turn over a fourth quarter to a Jackson Arnold early. And, 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 and that should be the first three games. And then if things go the way Oklahoma needs them to, there should be plenty of those opportunities in Big 12 play. And I, I keep going back to what Brent Venables had said the start of local media day before fall camp started, which was he's a guy, Jackson Arnold, that's just pushing for a role on this team. Not starting quarterback. He didn't throw a quarterback controversy, but a role. And I think that as Oklahoma looks to get better in those short yardage situations, what better than bringing in a bigger bodied quarterback that other teams know? Jeff Levy, Brent Venables, those guys wax poetic about Jackson Arnold. I don't think Jackson Arnold has to throw a pass for him to get into a short yardage package for other defenses to have to say, we need to be prepared for him to try to air out the football because Oklahoma's coaching staff believes. Yeah, we heard something else from Andrew Rame yesterday when I said uh, I asked him the follow-up question was, you know, hey, um, are you as the senior center who calls all the protections and all the locking schemes up front, are you kind of put, uh, pouring that knowledge into your freshman quarterback? He said, we don't get a chance really, and this is Andrew Rame. he said, we don't get a chance really to, to work together too much because I'm on the ones and he's usually on the twos. He said, unless it's the Q run game, quarterback run game, they bring packages in specifically to run the quarterback in certain situations. Andrew Raymond is revealing all this. I'm sure Jeff Levy would would have preferred that he not uh, portray it that way, but that's exactly what he said on the record, on camera. So they're going to bring him in to run some packages. They're going to bring him in to run some packages, right? But I, it sounds like – um, the Ryan that you're predicting that Arnold's going to play mop up duty. I'm predicting that he's going to play in the first quarter in the second quarter. They're going to bring him in to run specific packages. They're going to bring him in to run specific sets and series with specific Remember what they did in the spring game, uh, personnel groupings. They might bring in all the two receivers at one for one drive and let those guys go down the field and see how they can do. I think he's going to play early in games. I think he's going to play meaningful snaps. You know, if it's, 0 0 at the start of the second quarter. Here comes Jackson Arnold. Don't be surprised. Yeah. And uh, to, to kind of piggyback on that, uh, Jeff Levy was talking last night, Tuesday night, about the run game. He had used, you know, we need to be dominant. We need to be dominant a couple of times. And so I asked him, we, we've all sat back and speculated. Oklahoma feels better about the backup quarterback situation, yep. right? Uh, do we think that means that Dylan Gabriel will be given a little bit more leash to to not be a Kyler Murray, Caleb Williams, Jalen Hurts, but run the ball a little more? So I, I was asking, do you think that Dylan Gabriel, like, do you expect him to factor into the run game? Jeff Levy gave a short answer. Here's what it is. I feel like we got great backs in the room. I really do. So those guys are running backs is our running backs. Our quarterback is our quarterback. And that's just kind of how we're rolling right now. That was when I asked about Dylan Gabriel. Did not ask directly about Jackson Arnold in the run game. You pair that with the Andrew Rame answer. There you have it. It's it's yeah. the magical, mythical Jackson Arnold package that everyone has has spoken of and and tried to will into existence. Speculative, of course. Yeah, no, I don't I don't disagree with that. I think that's um, I think that's spot on. Um, that observation and that prediction. Um, 
Okay, staying with the offense. I've got a uh, a wide receiver room prediction. I've got one Ready? as well that I'm going to combine with the running backs, but you go first. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. <laughs> Jaden Gibson is going to be a dude for Oklahoma this year. Jeff Levy yesterday talked about he feels like they've built that depth. He feels like they've gotten to that five, six, seven guys that have built trust for Oklahoma. And honestly, I think the four best guys are probably Farouk, Stoops, Freeman, and LV Bunkley Shelton. Here's the issue. One of those guys is over six foot listed, and that's Jalil Farouk. You're going to have to add some size to that mix. And Andrew Anthony, it sounds like it's had a really great camp. I don't think that's a bold prediction to say that Andrew Anthony is going to be a factor. I, I think that Jaden Gibson, maybe it's just that he is just one of the unreal best interviews on the team, which makes kind of from our perspective becomes that you hope that that lends success. It sounds like he's matured a ton, but the, the way that Emmett Jones continues to bring him up anytime we talk to him, which is not as much as like Jeff Levy, Jeff Levy always seems to kind of wax poetic. It, it feels like to me, it's just a confidence on Saturdays thing. That's, that's the missing link between Jaden Gibson falling into the shuffle last year versus Jaden Gibson being a legitimate factor in this wide receiver rotation and being one of the guys that Oklahoma can rely on on you know third and threes, third and fours, because he should be a mismatch physically. That's a good one, um, and and there's there's uh, immediate openings, right? They they need help, and he's a young guy, so you're not like squeezing in an older guy just because he's maybe they're he's even with the older guy. They're about the same. They're interchangeable. They play the same position. They productivity and practice is about the same. You're always going to play the younger guy if that's the situation. So he's got an advantage there. Um, let's uh, let's kind of roll through these quick. How's this for a prediction? People are not going to like this. Oklahoma has no thousand yard receiver or no thousand yard rusher this year. Thought that Javante Barnes probably the best candidate to go over a thousand. Uh, but I think they're going to split the carries. I think they're going to uh, spread it out. I think you're going to have three guys around 800, 600 yards and uh, on the ground. And then same thing with receiver. You're going to have four guys with uh, north of 40 catches, but nobody north of 80 catches. How's that? Those three guys on the ground are obviously Barnes, Sawchuck, and Jackson Arnold, right? For you, it, it's not it's not Marcus Major? Uh, if Marcus Major stays healthy and stays eligible, it'll be Marcus Major. How about that? Okay. Okay. Important clarification. But, no, I mean, the the wide receiver one is – like, I, you can walk me right up to the running game. They're also effective that they just rotate them in. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Especially because – I think Jeff Levy last night talked about outside of Austin Stogner, they're not where they need to be tight end wise. And so I, I think that the running backs help with that. That also plays into my Jaden Gibson prediction of like, that's another way you can, he's not a tight end, but he's a bigger body. You can kind of replicate something that you, Oklahoma should have gotten another tight end out of the portal. That's very apparent now as the depth behind Stogner just isn't there. Um, the wide receivers I, I tend to agree with you. My only hesitation is that that's just like Jeff Levy as an offensive coordinator outside of last year has been a guy that just picks somebody and force feeds them the football as far as play calling goes. And so it, it when you look at the landscape of the wide receiver, it makes a ton of sense to be like 
not a real alpha, but a lot of pretty good options that can get the job done. My just hesitation is that we, we just really haven't seen that from a Levy offense yet. But if you take Jeff Levy out of it and you say unnamed offensive coordinators running the show for Oklahoma, what do you think? I would agree with that as well, that there's not like a, a number one overwhelming, I'm going to go get 65 catches and, and just be the the wide receiver one. What's your uh, what's your second big prediction for this offense? Uh, I think that Gavin Sawchuck is going to be absolutely massive in the throw game. Like we said, I think that he'll be a top five receiver, not catches, but yards for Oklahoma this year. I, I would put him probably at fifth, but I'm a big believer in Gavin Sawchuck in the open field. We saw against a good Florida State defense. Mm-hmm. And that's something that Dylan Gabriel's talked about being an emphasis for the running backs. That's something that Gavin Sawchuck talked about. And I think he is that kind of explosive playmaker that you have him coming out of the backfield with what Oklahoma can do, trying to confuse people with Julio Farouk and Gavin Freeman. I think anyone coming out of the backfield, and I think that Farouk and Freeman will be used as running backs in the formation in the passing game is just going to be a massive headache for any defense to kind of game plan. for. Yeah. He's a tricky matchup because he runs really good routes. He gets open, okay? You get him the football, that's on the quarterback. Quarterback Dylan Gabriel or Jackson Arnold, whoever, has to get him the football in a usable space. If that happens, he becomes a very dangerous threat downfield because why? Because he's got breakaway speed. He's way faster than you think. He's way stronger than you think, and he's got some sick balance. We saw it a couple of times last year where somebody would hit him, knock him off his feet, and he just kind of skates to the side and absorbs the contact and keeps going. He's got ridiculous balance. So all three of those things come together with him and the ball in his hands. Um, he's going to make some. He's going to do some damage this year. Uh, what do you think about this one? You mentioned Stogner. Stogner, all all Big Twelve second team behind Jatavian Sanders at Texas. I think this is a big year for him. I think that that is a bold prediction. (laughs) That's it, huh? Okay. Uh, If you've listened to this podcast, you know this is not a knock on anyone. You just look at the injury history and the production post-injury. It hasn't been the same. It just hasn't. And I wonder if through no fault of Stogner, but like, Early on, this is a situation, think back a couple of years ago, the Kennedy Brooks, Eric Gray, and no other scholarship running backs. Like, I wonder if through the non-conference, they would like to put some bubble wrap around Austin Stock. Like, he's on the field, but not really put him in positions to just get lit up or, or anything like that. At which point, I wonder if his production at the end of the year, not because they don't like how he's being used or anything like that, if Oklahoma is optioning to say, hey, look, let's make sure that we pace Austin Stogner to make sure that he's able to be healthy all year long. Frankly, if you ask me, Oklahoma's up in a game, who's the first guy on offense that you want to pull off the field? For me, it's Austin Stogner. Like if, if it's into, inj- if it's into, Hey, we're starting to think about backups. I'd pull Stogner off the field first. And I think that's going to be the big limiting factor for his all big 12, not production or anything like that. But I just think Oklahoma wants to be really careful with them. Cause I, I really don't think they like what's, what's happening behind him as far as, They've had some injuries that haven't allowed development to happen. And Blake Smith just hasn't been a prolific receiver. He has two receptions in his career at yeah. Texas A&M. You don't sound like a big proponent of uh, Cameron University basketball as, I, uh, as OU tight ends. 
I just not as Oklahoma tight ends. That no, okay. that that is not. That All is right. not. Did All right, here's, yeah. Here's my final, and this is couched with that. If this happens, but this this is the boldest. You look at that offensive line. Oklahoma sounds very excited by it. If someone from the projected starting five, Walter Rouse, Savion Bird, Andrew Ray, McCade Matower, Tyler Guyton, if one of those guys loses their starting job throughout the season, not due to injury, I think the most likely candidate is the veteran Andrew Rame at center. I really like the physicality that, that Savion Bird brings to the table. It feels like McCade Matower. I, I know he said it's not a huge deal to move from the left side to the right side. He just has to get used to it for a couple of weeks, and it's like second nature. But I think he's way more comfortable on the right side. And Andrew Rame has been an – I think the guard center guard, I think that Andrew Rame has been a huge weak spot for this offensive line. It's gotten better, and, and last year they were serviceable. But Troy Everett was not a weak spot for Appalachian State going against Texas A&M, which is a better defensive front than anything Oklahoma played last year. And he shined in that contest. And I think that if if anyone were to shuffle around as Bill Biedenboe does, I would just say the most likely candidate is not a McKay Matauer, who everyone wants to replace with Jake Taylor. It's not a, a Savion Bird who is entering a left guard battle into camp. I think it might be the center. I'll, uh, I'll counter that, Ryan. After you, you obviously didn't watch the video we posted last night of uh, of the Andrew Rame interview because Andrew Rame is bigger than he's ever been, stronger than he's ever been, healthier than he's ever been, smarter than he's ever been. He's had the best camp he's ever had. To listen to Andrew Rame say it, he might be on the list for it was a short list for some All Star candidacy this year. He's uh, he's in line for a big year. He did talk about Troy Everett behind him in the uh in the in the rotation as well as josh bates the fabulous sophomore um sophomore right yeah he was a freshman last year that's right uh he talked about his nasty true true freshman in in spring that's right he was yeah no i was thinking i okay so i got confused because i talked to him i was at the bowl game on the phone when i did that phone interview with him i'd forgotten he was a he is a true freshman so uh yeah I talked to him last December on the phone and I was in Florida when I did it. So that's, that messed me up big time. Yeah. So he's a true freshman and they love him. Rame talked about him being, uh, you know, just, I said, what do you like about him? He said, he's just scrappy, just wants to get after you. He, you know, you, you hold on to him too long in practice was probably the quote of the day, except for maybe Savion bird talking about uh, Oreo pancakes. Oh, that's Savion Bird quote. Yeah, yeah. There was some good ones coming out of Savion yesterday. He said, if you hold on to Josh Bates too long, you might get a left cross to the face mask. <laughs> <laughs> they love that dude. Um, and so that was my final prediction. The offensive line this year, because of Andrew Rain, because of, of uh, Rouse transferring in, because of them finally getting settled at guard, and because of the natural progression of Tyler Guyton. Bill Beatenbow, his players say, we don't know this because we only talked to him at media day. His players say he's been way more chill, way more relaxed uh, because the offensive line this year is better than it's been. What about that? Be huge. Um, I I wonder what chill Bill Beanbow looks like because we yeah. know that, that chill Bill Beanbow, you're grading on a curve. That's not an actual chill person. That's still a very intense right. – 
uh, coach that demands a lot and a very high standard. I'd just be curious to see what Chill Bill Bienbo versus Angry Bill Bienbo. Actually, I don't want to see Angry Bill Bienbo. I think that Savion Bird maybe was the one. It was either Bird or Rain that just said that will give you. He will show up in your nightmares. <laughs> uh, I do. I do think the offensive line is going to be better. I. Uh, We've heard this song and dance from Andrew Rain before. Yeah. Last last fall camp, it was the best camp he'd ever had. He was stronger than ever. And I know he was dealing with an injury, but he was not good at the heart of that offensive line. He was someone everyone attacked. Um, we saw what elite center play looks like with Creed Humphrey mentally. I've yet to see anything come close to that mentally as far as letting those gaps form and things like that. I would be happy to see something different. I think that that will be the weakness of a very good, so nitpicking. But I still am looking at center of, I think if you're going to attack the OU offensive line, I would start and end with Andrew Ray. This is the year, Ryan. It, it, it is. Andrew it is Ray, the year. Is the year. Um, okay, so let's switch over to defense. We're going to have to go through these fast. We're coming up on 30 minutes in this first segment. Uh, my first prediction for the defense, Rondell Bothroyd and Trace Ford, both transfers this year are going to both approach double-digit sacks. We're operating on the presumption that everybody stays healthy. We're, I'm not going to sit here and predict that Trace Ford's going to go down with an injury of some kind. No, if they stay healthy, Bothroyd and Trace Ford both approach double-digit sacks, nine and a half, ten, ten and a half, something like that. How about that? This uh, The uh, the Reese's Senior Bowl put out its watch list today. OU's got nine guys on the senior bowl watch list. That doesn't mean all nine are going to make the bowl game. It's an all-star game that's coached by the NFL teams and attended by the scouts. So it's really a a heavy, heavy emphasis on your NFL. It's not an all-star game to celebrate your college greatness. It's an NFL job interview is what it is. And so nine Sooners are on this list, this watch list. Eight of those guys are transfers. And I think Bothroyd and Trace Ford are both on the list. I think those guys have a big year. I love that because it pairs perfectly with my first prediction. I'm expecting a huge year from Rondell Bothroyd. I'm expecting health assumed, as we said, Trace Ford to be very effective and for Oklahoma to pick their spots with Trace Ford, which is why I think this might be a somewhat bold prediction that the two guys that will lead the defensive ends at snaps are going to be Rondell Bothroyd and not preseason plot it Ethan Downs, but R. Mason Thomas. I think that R. Mason Thomas and Bothroyd will be your two most snap defensive ends, but I think that Trace Ford is going to be a guy that Oklahoma looks to bring in in pass rushing situations to just say, you're healthy. We're not going to ask you to get rolled up on a ton in the run game on early first and whatever. Uh, Get out there and just do what you do best, which is rush the passer, which I think will yield – Great results for Bothroyd and Ford, while R. Mason Thomas will do a lot of the heavy lifting, I think, uh, as a guy that's put on a lot of weight and basically is just trying to work out of uh, it a little ankle sprain in camp. But it, it didn't feel like that Oklahoma was too concerned by that at all with the R. Mason Thomas. Yeah, and you've got Ethan Downs back. Like you said, you've got Reggie Grimes back. Um, those guys are going to eat up a lot of snaps. I think Trace Ford could get out of this season with like 125 snaps and 10 sacks. You know, being a, that situational guy. So uh, we'll see. Okay, this is the crazy prediction. Or did you have one? Let's go to yours. Oh, no, you just did. You just gave me the defensive ends. Um, here's my crazy prediction. People are going to say, you don't know anything. You don't know what you're talking about. You certainly don't know you football. My crazy prediction is, and there's a reason for this, 
Danny Stutzman's not going to lead the team in tackles. Boom! How about that? I ca- I'm calling Jaron Canick. They switched. One's going, uh, one's going weak side. One's going middle. Your middle linebacker is usually the guy that leads the uh, team in tackles. Usually. And uh, this year, that's Jaron Canick. I think they try to get Jaron Canick as many snaps as possible. I think the coaching staff, especially Brent Venables, really loves his upside. So I think they try to force feed him some snaps. Meanwhile, flip side of that, you got Danny Stutzman, who got 9 million snaps last year. I think they try to rotate some guys in for Stutzman and, and everybody, but but Canick, I think they're going to leave on the field, let him get as much experience as possible, let him make as many plays as possible. Stutzman, on the other hand, is the heart and soul of your defense. You need him out there leading your defense every day, every game, every practice. You need him healthy. I think they peel back his snaps a little bit, and I think that affects his tackle total. So I'm not sitting here uh, you know, casting aspersions on Danny Stutzman's ability to lead the team in tackles. Very well might happen. I'm just saying the way that I think, the way that I'm predicting they're going to play these guys, one guy gets a ton of snaps, the other guy gets less. I think uh, Jaron Kanick leads the team in tackles this year. A soft pitch count on Danny Stutzman. Not so, not go. crazy, not the Alex Grinch where the second unit de- defense right. needs a clutch third down stop against Tulane <laughs> to win the game. Not anything like that. But He's over here, go, who, who do we got on the bench that could come in and with a minute <laughs> left in the fourth quarter? Anybody? Anybody want to play? That's not right. how it's done. Very similar to how I framed Stogner. Like if you if that starting eleven, the first guy off the field when the game's in hand, Stogner. You flip that around, first guy off the field, uh, Stutzman. That kind of situation. That how you see it. That uh, that makes sense to me. It sounds like Kip Lewis behind him's had a really good camp as well. Yeah. I don't know if Kip Lewis is big enough to do the wear and tear to actually compete with Danny Stutzman. So let Kip Lewis kind of be that change of pace guy to give Stutzman right. a breather. Let's get crazy. Let's get wild. We'll continue that. This is the insane prediction. Oklahoma's best defensive back this season will be true freshman Peyton Bowen. Wow. He is the most versatile guy as far as it sounds like moving him all over the place. He has a true nose for the football. And while I think Woody Washington will be more consistent, a a guy that's been in that defense before, Billy Bowman just got to be healthy, knock on wood. Not, not like major, major stuff, but missed a little bit of chunk of last year, had to mentally reset. Peyton Bowen just has like a different nose for the football and ev- everything about things coming so easy to him. And I think the fact that Oklahoma is throwing so much at him in fall camp means they're looking for a way. I, I think that what it's trying to say is even though mentally he's a little behind the guys that have been in the system a year longer just because he doesn't have that whole year built up experience – it feels like they've already identified that's one of our 11 best players on defense as a true freshman, and we're trying to figure out any way possible to get him on the field. I think that's those are probably the the, co- the conversations the coaching staff are having. Of, uh, this guy, he needs to be out there because that, that's an upside swing that can help Oklahoma out, force, force some turnovers, big plays, stuff like that. I don't think he's going to play much cheetah. Do you think he, uh, or shall we say nickel in his case, uh, do you think he takes snaps from uh, Key Lawrence? Uh, yes, I would say when you move to that nickel situation, in my mind, Bowen slots in, you have Bowman and Bowen, that's going to be a pain in the rear for us all year. Congrats to us. And then either Pearson or, or who we know can hit or a Justin Harrington. I think those are kind of your candidates for nickel. And I think that key Lawrence, 
I think his best position is probably corner where he can just read and react because we saw it last year. I think he just gets a little bogged down at safety where he has to do a little bit more thinking. Uh, if you guys listen to all the OU podcasts, this is not going to be a surprise to you. You'll know that uh, Justin Harrington is having a hell of a camp or had a hell of a camp. They're, uh, they're, pre- they're game planning right now. Uh, he'll win the cheetah job, and I think he's versatile enough that they don't need to take him out for a pass rusher or take him out for a cover guy. I think he's able to rush the passer and cover. He'll, he's going to be a guy that uh, has, a lot, has a high snap count as well. Um, so I think it's going to be a little tougher for Bowen to get in there and do some of those things because he's going to have to take that deep safety job from Key Lawrence. I don't think he's going to take it from my last prediction, Billy Bowman, who I say will lead the team in total takeaways, interceptions, fumbles, fumbles caused. I think Billy Bowman's going to wreck shop this year. Billy Bowman, great story on him up at allsooners.com. Some scrub wrote it. Uh, I, I was looking at it, and I didn't remember three Billy Bowman takeaways last year, despite the fact that he was banged up in the middle of the year. But he's someone that it feels like he just feels so much more confident talking to us, which is something that everyone roll your eyes at. What does that mean on Saturdays? But that's a guy that's always been very, very quiet yep. and – Last year was about rebuilding his confidence in himself after he got yo-yoed all the way around the back end of Alex Grinch's defense. I think he found that, and he was playing really well and, until the the injury that cost him some time. And then the rest of the season, it felt like he had that big, bulky brace that it's one of those things that no matter if you feel confident in your knee or not, the bulk of that makes it impossible, especially at a spot like safety where you're just in the open field so much. Uh, a healthy Billy Bowman, a Billy Bowman, another year in the defense. He, he talked about that second spring install just being really important to reinforce all that. Uh, I, I think that Billy Bowman's going to be really good, and I think that uh, safety is going to be the strength of the defense. Um, Spencer Sanders threw a lot of interceptions in his career at Oklahoma State. That one that he threw to Billy Bowman last year was just – it was he, you talk about somebody, a quarterback getting played – by a defensive back. Um, I think that's where Billy Bowman's game has elevated itself to. He is he is now deking the quarterback into doing things that the quarterback doesn't know that he doesn't want to do. He's that he's that kind of in terms of just being mindful and playing Jedi mind games with the quarterback. He's doing that right now. I think too that the arrival of Peyton Bowen, someone I just talked about, some people have maybe forgotten they've gotten so infatuated with the shiny new toy that they're like, oh, Billy Bowman was that guy yep. a couple of years before Peyton Bowen as far as versatility, return game, making plays both sides of the football, all that stuff and, in yeah. the same city as Peyton. I think that there's a ton of a ton of upside, and we know they like to go to that three-safety look. I think DeJon Terry will help them go to that three-safety look, and I think that Peyton and Billy will be flanking Pearson back there uh, a lot as well. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun to watch how they deploy this defense and who gets to play which snaps. That'll be, uh, to me, that's way more interesting than the offense. But we'll see how it plays out next week, Ryan. It's almost here. Our prediction show continues for 2023, coming up next, including what happens in the Sooners' final season in the Big 12 and more. That's all next on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. 
To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. Segment two of the All Sooners podcast. If you're on Twitter, I'm sorry, X, if you're on X, that, that'll never, that'll never fit. It's Twitter, Elon. And if you want to ban my account, I don't care. <laughs> on Twitter, give us a follow at all underscore Sooners. I'm John Hoover on Twitter. You can find Ryan at underscore Ryan Chapman. And we've got Ross at Ross Lovelace. Okay, simple enough. And Randall Sweet is at Randall Sweet 5. We've also got a new guy. I don't know if he's been introduced on the podcast yet, but he's been with us a couple of weeks. New writer, longtime newspaper guy, Tim Willert. Worked for the Oklahoman, worked for the Norman Transcript as an editor. He's covered college football before. He's covered OU football before. Tim told me that he, he introduced himself, met me in 2011. My mind was racing in 2011, and I have no recollection of that. Uh, plus, that was 12 years ago. I have no recollection of that. So uh, Tim and I have a history that I knew nothing about, so that's cool. But Tim uh, Tim joins our team. You can find him on Twitter at TimWillert2, number two. The website is allsooners.com. We are a Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. Allsooners.com is free. No signups, no emails, no passwords, no credit cards. All free at All Sooners. All right, segment two, Ryan, prediction time. We just made a bunch of predictions. Now let's make some team predictions. Um, team as in conference, Who's gonna? which team is going to win which conference. And let's start with next year's conference, the Southeastern Conference, the SEC. I'm sorry, this is not, this is not as hard as it seems. Stetson Bennett last year, uh, the last two years, was a former walk-on, a former JUCO transfer, a two-time transfer. All he does is go out there with a bunch of first-round draft picks and wins the national championship twice. It's not that hard. Georgia is going to win the SEC this year, but they're going to beat LSU. What do you think about that? I think Alabama is going to take a little dip. I think LSU will take a little surge, and I think Georgia – I think LSU ends up having a really good season. I think Georgia uh, takes them down in the championship game. The more things change, the more they say the same, boss. That's a rematch of last year's Atlanta showdown. I know that somehow, some way, LSU's flying under the radar this year for a team that was in an SEC championship game. Yeah. Brian Kelly's right. a hell of a coach, and he's got his quarterback back. But as our good friend Lee Corso said over and over and over, <laughs> not so fast, my friends. Uh, there is a man who – fuels off of spite and hatred and elite football coaching. He had to sit Emperor Palpatine. Emperor Palpatine had to sit high above last year's national championship game farce as Georgia was just taking the TCU Horn Frogs, a well-deserved national championship appearance, but an undermatched team talent-wise behind many a woodshed. And he had to listen to one David Pollock sit here and say how the Alabama Crimson Tide are finished. They're done. They'll never win a football game ever again. Move over, little Nikki Saban. It is Kirby Smart time. And I think we're going to see a lot of lightning come from the fingertips of Nick Saban this year. I don't think they're going to be very good at quarterback. I don't think it's going to matter. I think that Saban is fueled by an undisciplined defense last year. That's going to have irked him all year long. 
some of the most penalties we've seen. And I think you're going to go back to, oh my gosh, they've got the best athletes all over the field except for one game, which is against Georgia. And I think that it's really, really hard to win the SEC three times in a row. I think Alabama and Georgia will meet in Atlanta once again. I think they will both, spoiler alert, make the college football playoff. But I think Alabama's going to get one last little laugh on Kirby Smart before, well, we'll get to our playoff predictions in a minute. Yeah, we'll make uh, we'll make the playoff predictions here in just a minute. Um, is it, it is interesting to me that in college football's premier conference, you've got two teams that are college football's premier teams, programs, and neither one of them has any uh, reason to say this quarterback is definitely the guy, that guy. He won the competition because – uh, he's got tons of experience or we, you know, he's, uh, a, a, the, the best five-star we've ever seen or no Carson Beck is, uh, is, is, and then what's going on at Alabama, Carson Beck at Georgia beat up Brock Vandegrift, former sooner commit, commit. I guess. Yeah. Um, commit. yeah. Sort of almost. Uh, so one question is where does Brock Vandegrift transfer to? If, I, if I'm him, I'm sticking around, I'm backing up the starter, and I'm winning a national championship, and then I'm going to transfer. But just the fact that both programs at the very tippy top of college football right now don't have a quarterback that's done anything is, is fascinating to me. So when you don't have a quarterback um, or you have to name your starting quarterback late in camp, and I think Carson Beck was probably always going to win this competition – so it's not like a big surprise or he did something at the last second to, to pull it out from under Vandegrift. But just the fact that you go into the season, you're Alabama, you're Georgia, and you've got a guy that doesn't have any chops at quarterback, hasn't proven anything on the field. That's fascinating to me. That's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Should be a ton of fun. But as you know, the longtime listeners of this podcast know – we are historically great on our playoff predictions. We are historically <laughs> dead on with who wins the conference. Matter of fact, what you can do is you can take this list of Power 5 champions and take it to the bank. For me, one of them is going to lose opening weekend, week one. Right. That's just how that goes. Yeah. We always remember you, North Carolina. Thank you, Mac Brown, for that lovely experience. What a terrible pick. <laughs> it's among my worst. I've had a lot of bad, and that's among my worst. Did they go 8-4 and four that year? Uh, I I tuned out after they lost opening weekend. <laughs> I think they had to. Yeah, it was. All right, good. it was not good. No, it was not good. Let's <laughs> go to the Big Ten. Um, the Big Ten, the, the, we call them the Wrecking Ball Conference because they're just going through plowing, plowing co- other conferences over, knocking teams, grabbing what they want. Uh, I think this is pretty easy. I think, I think it's it'll be easy to overthink the Big Ten. But I'm going to try not to do that. I'm going to say Michigan over Wisconsin. I love Wisconsin's running game. I love Wisconsin's offensive line. We all know that, right? You put a quarterback who can throw a forward pass in Madison, Wisconsin. That changes things. And you've got a guy by the name of Tanner Mordecai, former Sooner. Shall we throw it out there, right? Another one. Tanner Mordecai is a quarterback who has – uh, just a fantastic resume at SMU. Couldn't win the job at Oklahoma. I mean, I wonder why, right? Look at the guys that they've had. Goes to SMU and just absolutely obliterates the record book, throwing for 3,000 yards, 4,000 yards, whatever it is. He really was good last year, and he was good the year before. And now he's at Wisconsin, and he's got a big offensive line in front of him. 
a bunch of future NFL guys. He's got a running back behind him that's just a beast. Everybody stays healthy in Wisconsin. I got Wisconsin maybe almost possibly upsetting Michigan for the Big Ten Championship, but I'm going to pick Michigan right now. Luke Fickle, hell of a coach as well. Totally yeah. agree on Wisconsin. Totally agree. I've got the exact same thing. I've got Michigan. I'll, I'll, you highlighted Wisconsin. I agree with everything you said, so I'll do the Michigan side of this. Um, they return basically everybody, it yeah. feels like. Uh, it, and then as far as depth goes, Oklahoma got Walter Rouse. Michigan rated the rest of the Stanford offensive line, so they're going to have not just a ton of returning starters, a ton of returning beef up front, but they've got quality depth. Uh, competitive depth, if you will. Uh, everyone who's followed Oklahoma for the last month, take a drink. Congratulations. You are now dead. You are now dead. The competitive depth drinking game has taken many from us. Um, I think that J.J. McCarthy, while not like a number one overall kind of guy, I think that he's shown that he's more than than good, especially with a healthy Blake Corum, which I think that was overlooked as well in the college football playoff. Uh, not having Blake Quorum was a huge loss for the Wolverines. I think it would have helped them probably beat TCU by just being able to steady the ship, simplify things, not not as high variance, still a shootout. Uh, and I think that Michigan will roll through once again the Big Ten. Ohio State problem over. Question will be, will Ohio State succumb to the pressure of the fan base who wants Ryan Day's head on a stick because he suddenly can't beat Harbaugh's Michigan? Yeah, if you've got if you're the Ohio State coach and you've got a Michigan problem, they want you fired. Simple as that. We've seen it before. Um, ACC again. Don't overthink it. North Carolina is not coming out of nowhere to win this one, Ryan. So I'll just I'll just give you some advice there, some career advice. I'm going to take. I'm trying not to overthink it, but it, I'm, it sounds like I'm just going straight chalk. I'm going to take Clemson over Florida State. I think Mike Norvell has done an unbelievable job slowly but surely building in Tallahassee. I like Florida State. I like their roster. I like their quarterback. I like their coaching staff. But I still think Clemson right now is the class of the conference. And when you take a Garrett Riley and you pair him with a Cade Klubnick, uh, I like Cade Klubnick. I liked him coming out of high school. He was in, I think, I'm pretty sure he was in Caleb Williams' class. He was basically the second best quarterback, high school quarterback in the country, if I remember right. If I remember right. I'm sorry I don't cover recruiting quite as close. He, he was second, but it was to Quinn Ewers. It was Quinn's class before oh, Quinn reclassified. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm glad you pointed that out. Before so, That was before Quinn reclassified. When they went through the Elite 11 right. stuff, uh, Quinn was still slotted in that class. Then he reclassified to go to Ohio State early. But th right. those two guys were the ones that are out there at the Elite 11 together. So now I ask you, Sooner fans, if you had a quarterback to take, who would you take? Would you take Quinn Ewers or would you take Cade Klubnick? I would take, at this point, Cade Klubnick. I like uh, what I saw from him last year in limited action. I think Clemson uh, could really, really explode offensively this year, especially with Garrett Riley as the OC. Say it with me, guys. Mac Brown, undervalued season, Drake May, Don't NFL draft potential. They're going to be so it. good. They're going to finish fourth in the ACC. I can't wait for North Carolina to finish fourth because Florida State and Clemson will go to war. Uh, I really, really like Florida State. Um, I know that there were some people that were kind of underwhelmed because of an Oklahoma team going toe-to-toe -to -toe with them. I think that while Florida State didn't have any opt-outs, really, um, it was like a depth safety and the whole crew there. I don't think that Florida State took Oklahoma seriously whatsoever. I, I think that 
it took them a half and getting to that locker room to be like, oh, crap, this six and six Oklahoma team, while they're missing their whole offensive line, get it going. Uh, then Florida State turned up the heat in the second half and kind of showed you the quality that they are. I do think, though, that Riley coming over, a, a QB-friendly guy with Klubnik, the, the Clemson defense wasn't the issue last year for the most part. And uh, good good on Dabo, sweetie, someone that I hammer often for his views on a lot of big-picture college football stuff. Uh, but the loyalty guy, one year beyond, after losing both his OC and his DC, he looked around and said, the offense ain't working. I need to go and bring in some new blood, a new face. I think Clemson will beat Florida State, and I've got Clemson alongside, as I've already revealed, Alabama and Georgia in my college football playoff with Michigan. Okay. Very nice. Um, Clemson play – they open on Monday night, September 4th. They're at Duke. They're on the road. Or I, th- I don't know if it's new, one of those neutral site games. I think it's at Duke. Um, and then they play like the following Saturday against Charleston Southern – Florida Atlantic, and then it's like D-Day in the ACC. Florida State at Clemson, at Clemson. And that's one of the reasons why I'm picking Clemson. Uh, But that's September 23rd. That's week four that they play those guys. So that's going to be the marquee game of, I would think, week four. We'll see what the rest of the schedule shakes out. Pac-12 is the most unpredictable of the conferences except for maybe the Big 12. We'll get to the Big 12 last, but Pac-12 right now. Okay, if Cam Rising can come back from his ACL injury in the bowl game, um, Kyle Whitting has said he doesn't know if he's going to be available early on in the season, all that stuff. We don't know what his availability is. We don't know what his, uh, his running ability is. He's an absolute truck when it comes to running the football sometimes when he wants to be. Uh, that that has that really helped them last year. If he's able to come back for conference play and play at a high level, I'm picking Utah over Oregon. If he's not, if Cam Rising is not able to come back from that ACL injury and play at a high level, you know, if he's just out there limping around, it ain't going to work. If he doesn't, then I'm picking Oregon over USC. I like it. I like it. Um, I was – Still am really high on Washington rolling into the season. I think that Penix has found a system that really fits him for the Huskies. I really love DeBoer, but the issue is we, we learned about this. Uh, a huge, huge, huge injury to number one running back Cam Davis coming back in. I think that's going to hurt Washington. I, I really, really do. Um, Penix, while great and while I love him, I think it's a, a half step below some of the other really great quarterbacks that are in the Pac-12. I think he needs a little bit more behind him, so... I had my eye on Washington. I'm going to set them to the side in the wake of that injury. Uh, Get well soon, Cam. Uh, I think that Utah, while very, very sound, a great program, uh, losing Kincaid, a huge weapon for uh, the Utes and and for rising last year, also takes away the big Achilles Hill to Alex Grinch's defense, which is he still doesn't know how to cover either running backs out of the flats or tight ends. That just doesn't exist. So, I am going to roll with a marquee matchup of Bo Nix versus future Las Vegas Raiders quarterback Caleb Williams in Allegiant Stadium and Dan Lanning's Ducks. They're going to be a thorn in the side of Lincoln Riley for exactly one more year until Lincoln joins Caleb in Las Vegas. 
great for me to have to deal with that. Congrats. But <laughs> I, I think that Dan Lanning is going to be the, hey, you didn't know I was going to be around when you signed up for this USC job. Uh, I think that the Oregon Ducks, though they are Pac-12 champions, I think they'll be Pac-12 champions not playing the college football playoff because I think that while cannibalize is a little bit strong of a word for what the Pac-12 will do, there's a clear top and a clear bottom. I think there will be enough losses between the top guys going after it that they'll still be, obviously, they have to be New Year's Six bound. They would have been anyway. I think that whoever loses that game will be a New Year's Six at large, just not college football playoff because I've got Michigan, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia. Michigan, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia. All right. Shall we attempt a stab at the Big 12? Um, we could skip right over it. I don't think anybody's going to care because anything we say is is a coin flip, is a, a, a dart in the dark. Um, I'll just do it this way. Here's what here's what I'll do. Do we before you do we need to issue a warning? Brett Yormark, you might want to stop now. The floor is Put, yours, Goof. Push push stop is what you're saying. I think Brett, I think that Brett Yormark needs to earmuffs this next okay. conversation. Okay, probably here we go. Texas has the best talent in the Big Twelve. Texas has the best roster in the Big Twelve. Steve Sarkeesian is thirteen and twelve at Texas. Steve Sarkeesian has one nine win season in his career, and that was at USC, his first year at USC. He is a 58% coach. He's winning 58% of his games. Texas has had one 10-win season since 2009 in the last 14 years. Texas has the best roster. Texas will get the least out of the best roster. Is that fair? Is that a, is that a crazy? John Hoover hates Texas. John Hoover is a boomer sooner, and he loves this, and he you know he does the horns down and all that crap, right? No. I'm looking at the last 15 years of history and I'm saying Texas ain't going to do it. Texas is not back. So best roster, best talent, most probably NFL guys for sure. I don't think Texas is the, is going to win the big 12. I don't think they're going to have the best team this year in the big 12. I think the best coach in the big 12 is Chris Kleiman. I think he's going to – he showed it last year when he took down an undefeated TCU team, got to the championship game, had some stumbles early on for sure, lost some teams that they probably shouldn't lose to. I think Chris Kleiman does it again. I think K-State wins the Big 12. He's got five offensive linemen back. He's got a bunch of defense back. He's got – you know, Will Howard, is if he can stay healthy, is going to be fantastic. They're going to miss Deuce Vaughn. They're going to miss Malik Knowles. They're going to have to replace those guys, but I think, I think Chris Kleiman is built for this, and I think the team that they take down in the championship game, brace yourselves, Oklahoma. What do you think Chris Kleiman does at a Nelly concert? <laughs> does does he know what's happening? Is he aware of what's occurring? He draws up plays. He draws up plays in the Q Run game. That makes sense. That at a, makes at sense. a Nelly concert. Um. I've already mentioned, I think that OU, Texas, Kansas State, Tech will be the top four in some order. Here is the order. Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas State, Texas Tech. Uh, Will Howard was a lot better last year than when he was unplayable a year ago. A lot of that work was done yak. A lot of that was done by Deuce Vaughn. And it was a very, very making good decisions, getting the ball in the hands of, of Vaughn, Knowles, all those guys. 
Deuce Vaughn, I think, is going to be a legit dude for the Dallas Cowboys in the National Football League as someone who is way undersized. And I think that while I love Chris Kleiman and I think that he might be the best coach in this conference, I do think it's a little disservice to Deuce Vaughn and what he's been. King Felix is gone. That's going to hurt the pass rush a little bit. So I think that Kansas State will be third, not like a huge drop-off or anything like that. I just think it'll be that much short losing all of that talent for a program like Kansas State that does not recruit as well as your Oklahomas and Texas of the world. Steve Sarkeesian will not be able to forget about Bijan Robinson in the fourth quarter to kill off games because Bijan Robinson's not there. But I think Texas is just so much more talented than everybody else. And I think that Pete Kwiatkowski, the defensive coordinator, made those gains enough that Sark can just kind of be like an NFL-style head coach that's an OC and that the defense will take care of him, that it will nurse him to Arlington, uh, even though he, he does have some shortcomings. And I, I think that Brett Yormark's just going to be miserable. I think they're going to be SEC chants in uh, Jerry World. I yeah. think that they're going to be aggressive, and I think that uh, it will be Texas and Oklahoma. My better judgment says whoever wins the game in Arlington, or uh, in uh, the Cotton Bowl, will lose the game in Arlington, because uh-huh. that's just this rivalry, baby. Yeah. Uh, but Texas on paper is better, and Steve Sarkeesian has proven more as a head coach than Brent Venables has proven as a head coach. So give me Texas to do a little Texas two-step over the Sooners, I suppose, hmm. and uh, not make the college football playoff, but uh, be headed to – is it the Sugar Bowl or is the Sugar Bowl a playoff site this year? Don't know. Texas and LSU and the Sugar Bowl sounds like a lot of fun, though. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Um, it's temporary because Lincoln Riley's still out there, but for one little brief moment, you just became the most unpopular person in Oklahoma. That's okay. I, <laughs> I can, that, that's fine. That's fine. College football playoff. Um, geez, I don't know. What do you want me to predict? Georgia, Michigan, Clemson, and I'm going to say LSU. No, LSU suffers the light loss. Alabama sneaks in. Oh, Alabama without without winning their division. Without winning the division, Alabama goes back to the playoff. It, it, ins- it ensures 10 more years of misery from Greg Sankey because if that happens, not a single soul will give him what he wants in a new playoff negotiation. That's right. And being John Chalk Hoover, the E stands for Chalk, uh, I'm taking Georgia over Michigan for the championship. Big surprise. Yeah, I- I've got it laid out for Alabama and Clemson in one semifinal and then Michigan and Georgia in the other. Um, I don't think the beat Georgia period has been enough for the Wolverines because Georgia is like the most talented team we've got in college football. So I'm going to pick Georgia to make some history. I'm sorry, Minnesota. The game is just different. I've got Georgia over Clemson, future SEC foe, maybe. Uh, in the national title game. And so there you go. You can book it. Uh, All these teams are going to stink because that's who we picked. If you're wondering who's going to win the national championship, just look at the recruiting rankings and look at the NFL draft. Look at the NFL draft projections. Georgia's redefining what college football looks like. As good as Alabama was for as long as Alabama was, Georgia has taken it to another level with the number of five stars. I saw yesterday where Ohio State got their fifth five-star that's like Georgia's defensive line. You know, congrats on your fifth five-star. Georgia's got like 13 of them. So. Cue the Shane Beamer clip. They've got like 10,000 five-star. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's exactly right. He was not exaggerating. They're redefining what college football looks like. 
it's kind of no fun not knowing who's going to win. Or I should say it's kind of fun not knowing who's going to win. It's kind of no fun knowing exactly who's going to win. So, I like Waffle House, I'll though, so I'm, I'm not mad about it because I like Waffle House. Any time it thrusts Waffle House into the national spotlight, in. Good stuff. Ryan, thanks for jumping on. Absolutely. We'll uh, see you guys. Looking forward to see all the great insight from Randall here as you get in the crouton. We're going to podcast next Wednesday, and then we're also going to podcast Saturday night after the game. That should be fun. First uh, first double podcast of the season twice a week from here on out. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Coming up next on the show, Randall. He's jumping on to talk uh, OU recruiting. Of course, Randall and I both talked to Williams Winery last week, and we'll discuss our conversations next only on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond, or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise, and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. Final segment of the All Sooners podcast. And of course, if you like the podcast, drop us a five-star rating. We would really, really appreciate it. Five stars are, as we all know, in the college football world, five stars are best. So help us out. Uh, Like us and share us on social media. And if you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and like, subscribe, and leave us a comment on the YouTube channel. We appreciate that. Now, Randall joins us. We're going to talk OU recruiting here in just a second. But since we got you on... We're going to do some predictions. We're going to get your Power 5 predictions. That way, when they fail miserably and we come back in December and review them, everybody can have a good laugh at the dumbass predictions that we made. Uh, I'll give you what we've already predicted, Randall. Uh, we picked the SEC. Uh, Ryan and I both picked Georgia over, I think he said LSU. I'm picking LSU. I think he said LSU as well. Uh, Michigan over Wisconsin. We're on the same page there. Clemson over Florida State. We're on the same page there. I had, if Cam Rising stays healthy, Utah over Oregon, or if he doesn't, uh, if he comes back healthy and plays at a high level, I should say. If he doesn't, then it's I got Oregon over USC. Ryan went ahead and picked Oregon over USC. I'm picking Kansas State to win the Big 12. They're going to beat Oklahoma. Ryan's picking Texas to win the Big 12. They're going to beat Oklahoma. Who you got, Randall? Well, uh, should we start with the Big 12 since that's the conference that we currently cover the closest? We saved it for last, but you can go ahead and drop it first. <laughs> well, I, I would say that um, I like uh, I like Ryan's pick there uh, of Texas over Oklahoma. I think that for Oklahoma, it, it helps that they don't have to play Texas Tech, they don't have to play Kansas State, uh, and they get TCU at home. I think that those are three uh, huge um, aids to Oklahoma in their pursuit of one final Big 12 title before the season ends. But I think if if you look at it, Texas, honestly, right now has a more talented roster. Um, and, you know, in with the transition that OU is going through, I think Brent Venables said it at Big 12 Media Day, something like 70, 80 players are in their first or second year in the program. Um, you know, I don't think Texas has quite the same number, so they might have more continuity amongst the team. Uh, and 
you know, they're deep at quarterback, which matters. You know, if one guy doesn't get it done or if someone hurt, gets hurt, they've got at least what we think would be a stable of guys behind yours who can go get the job done. Um, and, you know, their skill position players outside of running back, which is a question mark, but at receiver, tight end, they're going to be hard to cover. Uh, if their defense is improved, then I don't think it would be shocking to see them win the Big 12 finally this season. Okay. Uh, we also agreed that Texas has the best roster and the most NFL players and the most stars and the best recruits, and they are going to massively underachieve. Uh, that's what I said. Uh, Ryan's picks them to win the Big 12. I think uh, 14 years of underachieving with the best roster, possibly arguably in the Big 12, is uh, is enough of a, uh, a scaffolding for this team to uh, go into 2023 and not live up to what they say. Okay, who, who else you got in the other Power 5 leagues? I think that's a fair comment about Texas. Um, in the ACC, uh, did you say that you and you and Ryan both had Clemson over Florida State? Yes. I, I would have to agree with you guys both there. I mean, I think that Florida State is being a little overrated to start the season. I mean, we saw what they looked like against a six and seven Oklahoma team that was missing a lot of uh, a lot of their players, a lot of their key players. You know, Eric Gray, a few linemen, uh, Marvin. Uh, I think Marvin Mims did play, but you know, still. An Oklahoma team not at full strength, uh, and they they won that game by by three. Uh, and you know they had you know a lot of their star players. They had Johnny Wilson. They had uh, Jordan Travis. I think Jared Verse played in that game too. So you know I, I think that they will be a very good team. Don't get me wrong, but I think that Clemson has a ton of talent. I think Dabo Sweeney can still get the job done. I think Cade Klubnik is going to be uh, better than what we've seen so far. I mean he was a great. Texas high school quarterback played against Jackson Arnold in the state playoffs. Um, and I think that uh, Clemson's poised for a big year. I think that they'll make a push for the uh, college football playoffs. So I, I would agree that they'll, uh, they'll overtake Florida state. North Carolina, I think is another solid team in the ACC. You know, they've got a really good quarterback, but I don't think that uh, as a, you know, their whole roster, they'll be able to compete with the Clemson's, the Florida States, uh, maybe even Miami. Yep. Who you got in the SEC? The SEC, uh, I'm going to say uh, Georgia over LSU. I think that uh, Georgia, you know, back-to-back national champions. I mean, this team is so strong. I know people, um, given what we've seen uh, the past few seasons, or not the past few seasons, given what we've seen over the offseason, I should say, uh, you know, there, there's been a, f- a few controversies around the program. And I know that some people think that that might uh, trip them up. But personally, I think that, you know, the coaching, the, uh, the just the talent they have on the roster, I think it's just too great for really any other team in the country to overcome, especially another team in the SEC. Uh, so I think that they'll they'll cruise and I think they'll win the SEC championship. And I think that they'll definitely compete for their third consecutive national championship. LSU, I mean, they've got a good quarterback. We've seen it last year. We were looking at the Reese Senior Bowl roster, watch list, I should say, not roster. This morning, they've got 16 players on that roster. So, you know, they've got a lot of veterans, a lot of guys who played a lot of college football. And, you know, I think I think they'll be a good team. Brian Kelly, you know, back for another year uh, at the helm. And, you know, it looks like they're poised to, uh, to have another good season. A, a better season than last year, I should say. Yeah, yeah. They were good last year. I think they're going to be really good this year. Um, let's see. What are we missing? Pac-12? Yeah. Oh, Big I- Ten. Let's do, let's do Big Ten first. Uh, so you, you guys both said Michigan over Wisconsin. Is that correct? Correct. Uh, well, here's where I'm going to differ from you guys. I'm going to say Ohio state wins the, uh, the big 10. I think that, you know, 
I think that they're being a team that I think they're a team that's being a little underrated. I know everyone loves Michigan right now, but Ohio State again, they're going to have an elite receiver core. I mean, they've got. I've heard people call Marvin Harrison Jr. maybe the best player in all of college football. Um, so you know, when that he's the guy leading your receiving core, you know, regardless of who's playing quarterback, uh, they'll, it's going to be a guy who they believe in. Uh, you know, they've got some good options to choose from. So. Uh, I would expect that they get high-level quarterback play again. And uh, I think that, you know, just the way that they recruit the guys that they have on offense, on defense, at the, you know, in the trenches, I just think that Ohio State's going to be too tough for anyone to overcome the Big Ten. I think that, you know, they, they realize the pressure's on, uh, given they've lost to Michigan the past two seasons. And, you know, they are not uh, – I don't think the Buckeyes are a team that's going to take that. And, um, you know, for a third – I can't see them losing – that game to Michigan, you know, being in that situation for a third consecutive season. That was a point of contention for me and Ryan. Who you got in the uh, Pac-12? This is an interesting league. Yeah, I uh, I think you said Ryan has USC, right? Yeah, uh, he's got uh, Oregon over USC, and that's my backup if Cam Rising doesn't uh, lead Utah over Oregon. Well, I, I would I would go, I guess, the opposite of what Ryan said. I would take USC over Oregon. Um, I think that, you know, we've seen that the Lincoln-Riley style of football can win conference championships. Uh, you know, beyond that is yet to be proven. But, you know, in the Big 12, it got the job done six, six times in a row. Uh, I mean, they've got, again, arguably the best player in college football under center at Caleb Williams. If he's healthy, they're always going to be in the game uh, no matter what. Uh, you know, even if their defense is not solid, is not very good, which they did get a few defensive transfers. I think Bear Alexander is there now. Um, so, you know, they, they could be improved on defense, but even if not, Caleb Williams is going to keep them in games. And, you know, he alone will likely, he and the offense that they have, you know, Brendan Rice, some other guys, those guys alone will likely be enough to at least get them to the conference title game and potentially win it for them. Very good. I think that's, uh, I think that's five for five, right? You did, you did them all? I think, I think so, yeah. All right, you're uh, you're sold on Texas. Okay, so you're taking Texas over who was it? Oklahoma. Okay, so you're taking Texas over Oklahoma. You think USC is going to uh, win the Pac-12? You are. You have taken over. Ryan is no longer the most unpopular guy in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, that lasted all of about ten minutes. Uh, you are now the most unpopular person in Oklahoma, and that'll that's only temporary because Lincoln Riley's always out there. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I won't be uh, the only one to have those opinions. So, oh, you fans can direct their anger at me and the rest of the media, who they say always overrates Texas, USC. You know, it's, it's always our fault. Always. Yeah. Okay, let's talk recruiting, shall we? Um, yeah, absolutely. You talked to Williams Winery last week. I talked to Williams Winery last week. Um, after Lee Summit North came up to Tulsa Union. Where my kids went to school, where I still live in the school district, it's just a couple miles from my house. Um, after he committed to Missouri on Monday, he comes back to where? Oklahoma to play his first high school game of scrimmage of his senior year. And um, he played really well. He was in the backfield a lot and the little scrimmages that they did, you know, little 12-minute games and whatnot. He was in the backfield a lot. He's six foot six, 260, 270 pounds. I think in my story that I wrote, uh, I had a little slip of the finger and I had him at 370 pounds. He's not 370, he's 270, so sorry. Uh, we need some better better editors on the uh, All Sooner staff. Anyway, 
he looks like a first-round pick. Right now, you're standing next to him. He's in a football uniform. He's a head taller than every one of his teammates, right? I mean, even the big guys don't look like Will Nwari. Nwari. Golly, I did it again. He's uh, extremely impressive. Yeah. What was also impressive was he comes out of that thing wearing Sooner gloves and Sooner cleats. Okay, OU football cleats. Uh, it was matching of his uniform, but this isn't a deal where it's like, you know what would look best with this uniform? Uh, some OU cleats, um, some OU gloves. No, this was intentional. He wore OU gloves for a reason. Now, the question is, what's the reason? And I asked him this. I asked him in the in the postgame interview. He was standing there getting ready to down a Chick-fil-A sandwich and some Gatorade, and I said, can we – talk inside just real quick and so we we pulled him inside asked him about five minutes worth of questions and um he said that he was just showing love to uh to the to the ou coaching staff i said was this a situation where you're in the state of oklahoma and you're just giving ou a tribute or was this more trolling and he said just showing love he said with his um with his evaluation with his decision with his commitment he said yes OU is still recruiting me but I'm going to let everything play out I'm going to let the whole season play out I don't know if he's talking about his senior season or if he's talking about the college football season with coach Eli Drinkwitz being on the hot seat uh Brent Venables coming back from a six and seven season he said I don't know I'm committed to Mizzou though just having fun with it showing love all that what do you make of all those comments and his actions on uh, last Thursday night yeah, I mean, it, it is really, really interesting, especially given that, you know, the entire state was uh, kind of in, a, um, in an uproar on Monday whenever he, well, I guess I should say Sunday and Monday whenever, you know, things kind of looked like it might not go his way. Um, you know, you have, part of you always has to wonder, is this his way of showing, you know, coaching staff, fans, like, hey, the bridge isn't burned yet, you know, um, th- there's still a chance, or is it, you know, really simple, like he said, just, Wanda, you know, he's in the state of Oklahoma, just wanted to wear some, some OU stuff. Um, I would imagine that it's not the latter, uh, just because, you know, he ha- he, I would assume that he knows that, um, you know, what, what that would look like. Uh, now, he, you, you mentioned he did say that he is committed to Mizzou. Um, but, you know, like you said, those letting it play out comments are interesting. If, if Mizzou underperforms this year in the SEC um, and OU, you know, kind of gets back to where we expect and have known OU to be. Um, Is that what he's referring to as letting the season play out? Uh, You know, and and I guess we'll know that down the line. You know, if if OU doesn't go out and win games, it might not matter. Uh, So I think that's first and foremost. But uh, it is really interesting, especially because I think it was either that night or maybe the next day, uh, two days later, sometime around there, that you have Miguel Chavis posting uh, the the – Photo of, uh, I, I had to ask, consult you for the movie Dumb and Dumber. Uh, I, I believe you said that, that the line he's saying there is, so you're telling me there's a chance. Yep. Um, and so, you know, again, it seems like a lot at one time to all be coincidence, uh, I would say. So, again, I don't think that OU is going to stop recruiting him. I think that this is evidence that OU obviously still has a chance and I think the best thing that they can do for themselves, at least from 
an outside perspective would be to continue uh, and maintain that relationship with Will, with his coaches, with his parents, uh, with everyone involved, and to go out and prove this season that they're ready to transition to the SEC. Um, you know, if they can do that, then they're putting themselves in a great, uh, great position uh, to maybe land him on the rebound if Missouri's season doesn't go uh, as well as they're hoping for. Um, but again, we won't know that until later in the year. Um, you know, we'll see week one of his high school season. I'm sure that there'll be some OU media members down there. I'm sure I think uh, Parker said that he would be down there. So, uh, you know, maybe we'll see again. Maybe he's got Missouri gloves on in week one and Missouri cleats. And, you know, this is all a thing of the past. But I think I think um, I think we'll know more when the college season starts and as the high school season prolongs. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what his um, ultimate decision looks like because I, I think Oklahoma is going to continue with the full court press in yeah. terms of recruiting him. Um, they're they're recruiting him right now. Uh, there were some broken hearts last Monday, but I think some people kind of their their attention, Miguel Chavis or whoever Brent Venables, their attention kind of spiked up a little bit. Like he's doing what? He's wearing what? Let's uh, let's make sure we keep the full court press on him and and you know. I think that maybe it was kind of, I don't want to say, I don't, I don't know how to worry. I think it was maybe a sign to Brent Venables and the staff, like, hey, I'm not, I'm not out on you yet. Like there's yeah. this, this, well, consider, this, Randall, consider the whole uh, NIL thing where September 1st comes around and he can start earning money because he can sign a, a grant and aid or whatever, uh, an early, basically an early scholarship. He can't sign an NIL or an NLI, sorry. He can't sign the uh, national letter of intent until signing day, but he can sign a an early grant and aid to receive scholarship money. And yes, I'm um, going to Missouri, and so he can do that. But then, when it comes to college football, he can start getting paid for NIL deals on September 1st, according to a new, brand new Missouri law. Governor signed it into into law last uh, last month, I think. He can take that money. I don't know what the situation is if he can keep it, but he can start taking that money, start earning that NIL money, and then if he wants to, because it's college football, he could flip and go to another school, whether that's Georgia, whether that's Oklahoma, I don't know. I've been thinking about this, Randall. If you're the Oklahoma, um, Texas is going to do something similar. Texas at some point is going to say, hey, Texas schoolboys, if you sign with a Texas school, stay in state, you can start earning your NIL money early. They're going to do that. At some point, they're going to do that. What I'm wondering is if Oklahoma is going to get out in front of this, you can call it the John Hoover rule since I just came up with it, and say like uh, like some some schools do with, um, or some states do with uh, in-state tuition. Mm. Like say you're Oklahoma and you want to, you want to get kids from states. states, like Texas, like Arkansas, like Louisiana, really? Texas. No, it doesn't, doesn't border with Louisiana. I can't remember. Uh, Kansas, um, New Mexico, right? The border states of Oklahoma. If you're a, a high school football prospect and you sign with Oklahoma, you can start earning uh, NIL money your senior year uh, if you're in a border state. Oklahoma needs to be out in front of that and start doing stuff like that. What do you think about, uh, about how that is shaking out for Will? Well, I think it's interesting because if – I, and I'm not saying this to be true, but if he doesn't know necessarily if Missouri is the final final landing spot for him, right? If that decision is still being made, but he likes Missouri enough right now that 
that he he can't imagine that being his final landing spot. If you're in in that position, why not commit to that school? Start making that money while you're still making that final decision, because then you know if if it turns out you were right in August and that is where you want to be in December, then you can sign there and no 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 problem. But if you just if you sign if you commit in August, you start earning that money in September, and then you decide October November that maybe you like Georgia, maybe you like Oklahoma better than Missouri. Then you've made some money, and you're not just sitting around for those few months. I mean, I don't, again, this is all brand new, so we don't know exactly how it works. But right. I mean, from an outside perspective, that that makes sense, does it not? I mean, while you're still making that, while you're still making your decision, finalizing your decision, while there's still months to be made before you can even sign, why not commit and start making that money while you can? And then, then you make that final decision when the time comes after you've already made who knows how much money. Um, and so that could, it, it could end up working out well for Missouri. They could get a commitment from him or they could, they already have gotten a commitment. They could end up signing him and, you know, get him on campus or it could backfire and, you know, they could end up paying a guy who doesn't go to Missouri. Uh, or I mean, again, this is all new. So that maybe he doesn't get to keep the money. I don't know. We'll see how it all plays out if that does end up being the case. But, um, I, I mean, you have to think that that's in play and if it doesn't happen with Will, it's probably going to happen with some kid down the line. I mean, you know, you can't, you can picture that happening. I mean, if, if we're sitting here thinking of that right now, imagine the parents of these five-star athletes, imagine, yep. you know, what they're thinking. For sure. All right. Uh, here's my on-field evaluation of Will Winery. He's really good. Um, yeah. He's got, he, Again, he was in the backfield a lot. Uh, I watched mostly the union game. He's really good. Um, and he, here's the thing, guys. He got a lot of one-on-one blocking, believe it or not, because the guy next to him, Kamari Moore. All right, Kamari Moore is already committed to Oklahoma. He's about six-one, uh, around three hundred pounds. I don't know what his exact dimensions are because this preseason and these things fluctuate. Um, but I was very impressed with Kamari Moore. When you see him, when you first see him, he's got a you know baby face and real friendly and smiles, you know, and, and, and I'm like, that's your, your killer defensive tackle. He's six one. So he's a little bit squatty. He's around 300 pounds. So he's a little bit, you know, solid. He's not one of those big, tall, imposing dudes. And then you watch him play and your, your eyes bug out because why he's the first one off the ball. Yeah. Every snap, his first step, he's in the backfield every play, every play. Like the like Union guys, Union is is one of the class programs of, of Class Six A in Oklahoma, biggest in Oklahoma. Union's got a bunch of really good offensive linemen. He was in the backfield on every play. He wasn't like making a tackle on every play, but he was. The quarterback turns around and there's not big ninety five in his face. He's got an extremely good first step. Okay, he's going to he's going he's a Division One talent. Trust me, he's three star. He's a Division One talent. You can see that when you watch him play. When he engages with guys, right now he's he's still kind of young in the process. When he engages with the offensive line, he hits him with his shoulder pad and, and tries to knock him off balance. At some point, he's going to learn how to use his hands effectively and get them off the blocks and and be able to you know rush and swim and all that. Um, he uh, he looks like you know it's that time of season. It's super hot. They've been practicing for a month, so he's super tired, you know, kind of worn down a little bit just from the preseason. 
So he wasn't finishing a lot of plays, but he was starting a lot of plays, uh, whether it was pressure on the quarterback or clogging running lanes or making guys run around him, getting other guys, getting his teammates the tackle, his linebackers and DNs the tackle, funneling traffic to them. I like everything I saw about Kamari Moore. Yeah, watching you know his his uh, highlights. That was the first thing that I noticed about him too. Was that first step that get off is elite. I mean, like you said, Williams and Winery. That's a future NFL player, no doubt about it. And when you watch, they're off the line at the same time. You know, their their foot is into the into the offensive line at the same time, and you're just like, wow. I mean, it's it is really impressive. And you know, the like you said, he's not the you know tallest you know, defensive lineman, but that, you know, can bode well for him sometimes because he's able to use that lower pad level, get up under offensive linemen. Um, and so, so, you know, that, that might end up if, if he continues to get good coaching, which he obviously is at LSN and, you know, he will continue to get at OU. Then, like you said, the, the, uh, the punching ability with his hands, you know, the pad level, all that will continue to, to improve and, and he should be a force. I mean, you know, we've seen shorter defensive tackles, you know, succeed, in the NFL, Aaron Donald, I think, is only six foot one. I'm not saying he's Aaron Donald, obviously. I'm just saying players of that stature, that body type, they can succeed. And sometimes it even, you know, actually helps a defensive lineman because it does help them drop their pads, stay lower, especially when they're going against centers who usually aren't the tallest defensive or tallest offensive lineman of the bunch. So a quick eval on a couple of guys that OU has offered from the scrimmage that I watched. I'll let Randall give his evals of the guys that he watched last week. Uh, Devin, Devon Jordan, wide receiver from Union, uh, sorry, defensive back from Union, and Isaiah Mosey, the wide receiver from Lee Summit North. Uh, those guys got after it. They got after each other. There was a little bit of trash talk, but uh, you're talking about a 24 and a 25, so Jordan's a little bit older. Mosey looks like a finished product, you guys. He's 6'1", maybe 6'2", moves extremely well with the football in his hands. He caught some short passes and was weaving through traffic. Again, we're talking about Union here, right? One of the better programs in, in, in this region, much less the state. He was weaving through defensive backs, um, running guys over. He's, he's a physical receiver, Mosey is. Uh, good hands, reliable hands. He didn't drop any passes. Had one go off his hands that was just a little bit overthrown where he ran by Devon Jordan on a, on a go route. Uh, and he came back and he got a quick drink of water. I was standing right by the water cooler. He came back and got a quick drink of water and he said, that dude is bleeped because I'm just, I'm just, he's expressing to his teammates, I'm just now getting going. I'm just now heating up. And I think he caught a late third down conversion, but it wasn't like uh, one guy had a big advantage over the other. It was, it was kind of a stalemate. Um, Mosey had a couple of, a uh, couple of moments where he got free. Uh, he had a couple of moments where he made a couple of plays, but for the most part, Devon Jordan was was right in his uh, shirt pocket. So I thought I was impressed. I came away impressed with both guys. Devon Jordan a little bit smaller than I would like at this stage of his high school career. Um, he's a little bit thin. That's not going to be a problem once you know you select the college. Neither one of these guys has committed, just FYI, but OU wants both of them. Uh, Devon Jordan, extremely quick with his recognition. That's what I was really blown away by was how fast he learns, how fast he recognizes what's coming at him, and how fast he reacts. He is elite when it comes to that. A lot of guys are out there going, looking at their man or looking at the quarterback, and they're wondering what to do. He sees it, and he reacts to it, and it's sudden. So he's got that going for him, uh, and he does not mind contact. I was watching him. He was sticking his head in a couple of tackles on some bigger guys. 
uh, he, he, he enjoys the physical part of, of the game of football. Yeah. And that, that all sounds exactly like what I saw from him whenever I was, saw him at Bixby's team camp uh, earlier this summer. Uh, good player, you know, put OU in his top five recently. So I think, the, I think that they're definitely pushing to try to earn a commitment from him. All right. You got to see, um, you stayed in the 405 and you got to see a scrimmage here, or I should say here, I'm, I'm in the 918, you're in the 405. Tell us about the scrimmage that you looked at. Yeah, so we got to take a look at uh, Nate Roberts out at Washington, uh, Andy Bass at Heritage Hall, and then, you know, Carl Alberts. So, you know, the, the handful of guys that they have there. Um, and, you know, really, really good things from, I would say, all of them. I think there is seven total players there. Or, uh, yeah, I think seven total players there with OU interested. Again, there's so many, it was hard to keep track. Uh, I'll start with I'll start with Roberts because you know he's the only really the only guy in Washington that I uh, I was taking a look at. They do have Cooper Alexander, son of former OU and NFL tight end Stephen Alexander, but he's committed to Iowa State, so uh, won't be won't is and OU has Devon Mitchell in the 2024 class. Probably won't be anyone that the Sooners are too keen on flipping. Uh, but Nate Roberts, uh, I was really impressed by you know he's six four two thirty five you know big high school tight end again he's only a junior he's starting his junior year now i was so impressed by how quick and agile and fast he was for being that big this was my first time seeing him live uh, when i put the camera on him the first time i saw him take off uh from the line of scrimmage running a route i was blown away by how quick he was i mean washington could have given him the ball every time for 10 to 15 yards if they wanted to but you know so it is a scrimmage you know they're trying to work their other guys work a ton, ton of plays, stuff like that. But he, even with another power five division one tight end right next to him, he was clearly the most athletic guy out there. He was clearly the guy that they would funnel the ball to and could just do whatever he wanted. I mean, guys, guys had, it, it took, often took more than one guy to bring him down. And if you tried to tackle him up top, no one, no one on that field was going to take him down. Um, just the way he runs routes, how fast he is. Again, I, I cannot express the way he moves for a tight end that's 6'4", 235 is just, it's remarkable. Hmm. Um, and in pads, it's, it's not something that you see. I, I watched a lot of good tight ends over the summer at the Brent Venables camp, just in general, and he moves, I think, better than all of them. It makes sense why he's the number two tight end in the country. Um, you know, Washington, they look like they're going to be really solid again. He gets after it as a blocker. He's physical. He's not afraid to get in there and mix it up. I, I mean, like, He's bigger than all the offensive linemen on his team and pretty much all the defensive linemen on the team they're playing against. So whenever they, you know, whenever he gets to college, he'll obviously be blocking bigger guys. He'll be running against guys who are similar athletes. But I think, at, you know, as a six foot four, 235 pound junior in high school, it's guys, not many guys are more athletic than that. Um, Andy Bass, again, just proved that he is a phenomenal high school player. He can kind of do everything. He was throwing 30-yard touchdowns. He was breaking tackles, running in touchdowns, you know, just kind of doing what he does for Heritage Hall. Um, afterwards, I interviewed him, and he said that he knew this was his last year as a quarterback, so he's just doing everything he can to help his team, uh, focus on them winning right now. Uh, he's actually committing tomorrow at around 10 o'clock. I'll be there for that. Um, I think that OU's in a really good spot. He's choosing between OU, Syracuse, and Kansas State, um, but – you know, again, he showed that he's really strong. He was, there was one play that sticks out to me. I got, got it on video 
where he he broke it, he broke two tackles uh, and then outran a few defensive backs all the way to the end zone. I think it was a 40, 50 yard touchdown run. Uh, and he, you know, you you saw every bit of what it is that makes him special there. The strength and the speed, uh, you know, the vision all at once. Uh, it, I think that whoever does end up getting a commitment from him, they're going to really, really like what they get because he's a guy who's going to bring it. Uh, he works hard and he's a talented athlete, physically very gifted. Uh, he said afterwards his dad's a Marine, so he's always trained to work hard. It just everything you like to hear out of a player, I think that he'll be a really, really solid collegiate player wherever he goes. Uh, the Carl Albert guys, it was interesting that Kevin Sperry didn't start whenever they were running those 12-minute uh, uh, games that you were mentioning. I think the guy that they started, I think his name is Cash Ferris, who's an Oklahoma State baseball commit. So very talented athlete in his own right. I think he was um, Carl Albert's quarterback last year, led them to a state title. Um, but when Kevin Sperry came in, you immediately saw the difference in the offense. I mean, his first, no, second, sorry, second throw was about a 70-yard touchdown to fellow uh, 2025 OU target, Trinae Washington, uh, who you and I have talked about before. He's a very gifted athlete himself. He's about 6'3", 200 pounds. He was playing corner and receiver. Um, he had a nice pass breakup again, caught this deep touchdown where Sperry just put it up in the air, perfect throw, and Trinae just went up in the air and got it. I mean, it was exactly what you want to see when, and afterwards, Sperry said he saw the safety come down, he liked the matchup he saw, and he, he just let the ball fly. That's You love to see that that he's he's smart enough to know when to take that risk. He knows that Washington's on a smaller defensive back. He knows that the safety's not where he should be, so he knows to put the ball there. He knows his receiver's going to go up and get it. You love to see that from a quarterback who also is only a junior. Uh, afterwards, I saw him talking to Nate Roberts, the Washington tight end. Uh, Nate Roberts was wearing an OU shirt while they were talking. Uh, have to think that that bodes well for the Sooners uh, earning a commitment from Roberts, um, but we'll see uh, how that works out down the line. Keep in mind, too, Trenet is a defensive end. He plays corner and he plays wide receiver, but he projects into college as D and edge rusher. He's going to be 6'5 when he's done growing. Uh, the dude's a freak. Yeah, Trenet Washington, that guy is a crazy athlete. Um, I, another guy that whoever does end up getting a commitment from him, they're going to be very happy because, like Coop said, they can do he can do it all. Um, the last two, or sorry, last three Carl Albert guys, they've got so many. The last three Carl Albert guys I'll touch on. Uh, Tristan Haynes, who OU is looking at as a defensive back, a corner. He's about 6'2". Uh, they didn't really throw the ball at him much because, you know, he was in such good coverage. But in the, um, in the half field games, he did catch two touchdowns early on. Uh, kind of showed his versatility as a receiver and a DB. Uh, and then um, Marcus James, who is a tight end and linebacker, he didn't, uh, you know, they didn't really run the ball at him. UConn didn't really run the ball at him, uh, which makes sense. You you know, you look at him 6'4", 220, 225, you know, he looks very physically imposing. You know, we were talking about Williams and Winnery looking physically imposing. Marcus James, not to the same level, but also is a guy who you look at in warmups and you're like, whoa, who is that guy? Um, and so, you know, they didn't really run the bottom, but just physically, he looks really good. He moves around well out there. Um, I'm excited to see later in the season, whenever they actually throw him some passes, get to see him, um, you know, get the ball run at him sometimes. He did look good as a blocker. He was physical, really pushed some guys off the ball. So you love to see that. Um, I think OU is mainly looking at him as a linebacker, though. Uh, he played linebacker at the Brent Venables camp. So that's what I would assume out of him. Uh, and then lastly, Xavier Robinson, who... 
I think everyone has seen the viral clip by now of him awesome. throwing, throwing the defender off of him, uh, Derrick Henry style. He just proved again what we already knew in that high school, normal high school kids cannot tackle him. One normal high school kid cannot tackle Xavier Robinson. It's going to take a lot of them. Um, he, I don't think one guy brought him down ever in this scrimmage. I think it took a gang tackle every single time. Dudes were jumping on top of him. I mean, he was lowering his shoulder, trucking guys. Like I said, he threw a defender off of him. He was everything that we've seen from him in the past. Uh, I think the first carry he ran in for like a 40-yard touchdown. Um, so, again, not the fastest guy on the field, but fast enough to get the job done. And, you know, just big, physical, strong, moves well. Um, they didn't really do anything too crazy with him, but that's because the few times that they did give him the ball, he, you know, he showed exactly what – what he needed to show and, you know, just what OU fans like to see. It's a big physical running back. He's going to get the hard yards uh, in college. And right now in uh, high school, he's going to produce those fun um, highlight reel runs where he's throwing dudes off him, dudes are jumping on his back to tackle him, stuff like that. Um, we're going to be, Randall and I are both going to be at, uh, at some scrimmages this week. Uh, help me out, Randall. I think I've got Edmund Santa Fe at Jenks. Yeah, 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 and this is a uh, high school week one, so these are these will be some, yeah, some real games. Uh, who will be out at Santa Fe and Jenks? Get to see um, Caden Jones, Jones. Yeah, Kiwan is Jones's son. Twenty twenty six in the twenty twenty six class. Is that right? Yep, and he plays he plays DB as well. Uh, we've talked about him on the pod before. Good athlete, um, real good player. Uh, and then on the other side, Santa Fe has um, Joshua Sosa, who's a twenty twenty four OU offensive line commit. And Bergen Kaiser, who's a 2024 defensive line commit, um, so it'll it'll be a really entertaining uh, matchup. A lot of guys that OU's got their eyes on, or who will be at OU uh, in the coming years. Um, so that one will be, I think, real interesting. I'm excited to to, to hear what you see in that game. Uh, and then I'll be at um, Westmore versus Union on uh, Thursday night to check out Michael Patterson McDonald uh, on the Westmore side and Devon Jordan, who you saw last week on the Union side. Michael is obviously a four-star safety commit in the 2024 class, best friends with David Stone, who is making his decision on Saturday. Yep. So maybe we'll get to talk to Michael, see where uh, see where David's at a few days ahead. But it'll be good to, to see uh, what he looks like, you know, heading into his senior year. And then Friday, I'll be in Lubbock to check on uh, 2024 four-star wide receiver uh, Yvonne Carrion from Odessa High School. Uh, they're playing Monterey out in my hometown of Lubbock, Texas. So... Committed. He's committed, though. Yeah. yeah, sorry, did I did I not say that? He's yeah, I just said prospect, but he's yeah, oh. he's actually uh, committed to the Sooners, so that's a big yeah. one to uh, and and that is believe it or not, he's in Lubbock, and that's the closest he's going to be to Oklahoma for the year. Well, they'll be in uh, they'll be in Dallas on uh, the same day that I'll be at uh, to to watch Nigel Smith come. Oh, right. Yep. Oh, so they we unfortunately won't be able to get out to that game, but the rest of the year, you know, they'll be in Odessa, they'll be out across the rest of West Texas, thought this was probably the best time to, uh, to get out to Lubbock and, and see, uh, see what he has to, to offer. I'm really intrigued. This is a guy who's 6'6". He runs the, the 110 hurdles in track, plays basketball. Uh, you know, from everything we understand, he's a really good athlete. Emmett Jones offered him at Texas Tech, got a commitment from him at Texas Tech, then came to OU, offered him and got a commitment from him at OU. Um, Four-star receiver, I think he's a top 200 player. Uh, he hasn't posted all of his offers, you know, like some other guys do. So we don't, so we haven't seen necessarily the depth of his offer list. But you know, given his his rating, given what 
Uh, Emmett Jones has thought of him. It's a guy that I'm, I'm really interested to see kind of where he shakes out in that deep 2024 receiver class that OU has. You guys need to do yourself a favor and get a map of West Texas and look how big and broad it is and how vast it is and why he's not coming anywhere near Oklahoma because <laughs> he's way out there in the uh, desert. Anyway, yeah. uh, Friday, I think I've got um, down for uh, NOAA, uh, Northeastern Oklahoma Association of Homeschools. They've got a game with Kiefer and uh, the number one uh, player in the state of Oklahoma in the 2024 class is Danny Okoye. He's going to be playing for Noah, Noah, so I'm going to try and catch up with him as well. Content, 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 Randall. We got it coming at you at All Sooners. Yep, it's it's an exciting time. Football's back. Week zero of college season, week one of the high school season, and OU football will be here before we know it. Yeah, next week. Uh, but before that, you mentioned that David Stone is committing next Saturday. He's going to have a commitment during his game. Do we know yet? Halftime before the game uh, at out at IMG in Bradenton, Florida. Um, he's going to commit to somewhere, and we keep seeing these uh, these predictions. The two came on right as Randall was jumping on the podcast. That uh, one one had him flipping from Michigan State <laughs> to Oklahoma, and one had him flipping from Ohio State to Oklahoma. Sounds like he's coming to Oklahoma, and that would be a nice little uh, nice little feel good moment for the fan base after losing. Winery, uh last week, but what do you think? What's uh, what's your what's your read on this, and what's your assessment of uh, how how this is going to turn out? Well, I think that those two predictions might be correct, and that Oklahoma looks like they're in good shape. But I think that right now the strongest challenger isn't Michigan State or Ohio State. I know it's Miami. Yeah, it's. I think it's very obviously Miami. Um, you know, again, things can flip overnight in recruiting. So you never want to say anything's assured. Uh, and it seems like Miami is doing everything they can to make up the ground and, and um, uh, earn a commitment from Stone on Saturday. Um, we've heard that there might be some people in his camp who want him at Miami. Um, and, you know, I guess on Saturday, we'll kind of see what he wants uh, and, you know, where he ends up. But I think that right now, OU is still in a good position. They still have maintained their, you know, strong relationship with him. Like we said, Michael Patterson McDonald, one of his close friends is committed in the same class. Michael told me they've talked about playing in college together. They have an easy route to do it. Um, I would, again, expect that that's what happens, but Miami being right down the road with him at IMG in Bradenton, Florida, you can never count that out. Uh, they've got a lot of, a deep, they've got a deep NIL bag as we know. Um, and so again, you, you never really know what'll happen. I think that OU is in good shape, but uh, I think Saturday, the commitment is definitely worth tuning into because it's not uh, not a done deal by any means. Yeah, should be uh, should be interesting. Um, has the potential to save OU's recruiting class, and by save, I mean turn it into a definite top five recruiting yeah. class and have that big impact defensive lineman that's that you need to be in the SEC, or it could wreck it. Uh, meaning you lose that guy, that cornerstone guy that was a local talent. You've been after him for so long. Uh, so David Stone next, this coming Saturday, Dominic McKinley, five-star defensive lineman from Louisiana. We'll see if Ross can maybe get out and uh, staff that one. Uh, that's next Friday before OU's home game to start the season against uh, Arkansas State. And then uh, Nigel Smith will be the Friday after that. So big 
big what what would you call that three straight weekends of yeah. uh, of defensive line commits and yeah. uh, you were talking about like I said save the program change the program or completely wreck the uh, the, the the plan the scaffolding that Brent Venables and Todd Bates and Miguel Chavis are trying to put up yep. I mean, those, those are three guys that, like you said, change programs heading into the SEC where the trenches are, it seems like the emphasis of every single team in the conference. You need guys like that who can wreck game plans, who you have to double team, uh, you know, guys who are just hogs down there in the, I know that's an offensive line term, but guys who just get down there and play physical in the defensive line that, you know, like you said, just mess up the game plan. Um and OU's got, it seems like a really, really, really strong chance to land two of those three. If they can if they can land two of those three, that's huge. And if they can land all three, then I mean, that's, I, I, that could still be, make for a defensive line class that OU hasn't seen in a long time. Yeah, no, I agree. We better get out of here. Uh, we're coming up on two hours and we could probably <laughs> podcast for four hours the way this season is coming at us. Yeah. I want to thank you, uh, Randall, for jumping on. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, John. Absolutely. We'll uh, we'll bring you more next week. And then, like I said earlier, two podcasts next week, including the post-game podcast from the Arkansas State game. That podcast and all of our shows will be on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeart, anywhere you get your podcasts. We're there. If you have an Amazon-enabled device, just say Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. It's also posted on our website, allsooners.com. Just find the podcast, click on the player, and listen on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. And all of our shows are posted on my YouTube channel, John Hoover Media. For Ryan Chapman, for Randall Sweet, I'm John Hoover. We'll see you guys.